0: Well, welcome uh, everybody to the farm and thank you for joining us uh, via video if you're joining us uh, over the live stream. Um, and uh, kids, I just want to make sure you know whether you're watching or whether you're here, you are welcome. And this is also for you. This word is not just for grown-ups. this word is for you. I've tried, done my best to try to make it as, as kid-friendly as possible, so I want you to know I'm speaking to you too. I want you guys to, whether you're drawing pictures or whether you're taking little notes uh, of what you hear, I want you to uh, tell your parents at least one thing uh, coming off of this sermon that you um, learned and that you want to respond to, okay? Kids, can you give me a thumbs up? I see a few. Okay, cool. All right, marketing slogans are fun, and they can also be very telling about human nature. Let's just do a, a quick quiz. You're going to have to shout loud, but let's do a quick quiz of a few famous marketing slogans. Let's see if you can identify the brands that go with these slogans. I'm loving it. McDonald's. McDonald's. Well done. Love. It's what makes a blank a blank. Subaru. It's okay. It's okay if you didn't get it. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Obviously, no one owns the Subarus around here. Um, this one's older, but you might get it. Nothing says lovin' like something from the oven. Pillsbury, yes, I heard that. Well done, Shelley. Um, uh, this is a state. Blank is for lovers. Virginia, yes, they are successful at their advertising. Uh, this is also a state. I blank, or I heart blank. Oh well, yes, very good. Wisconsin, of course, you said should, should heart Wisconsin. I heart. NY, New York. I love New York. Buy it, sell it, love it. eBay. Love where you live. Lowe's. True love grows. Tiffany and Company. Those last ones are a little more obscure. Love, if you didn't catch it, is the common theme in those slogans. Love is a powerful thing companies selling products or states wanting you to come and add to their tourism dollars, they know that humans are drawn by what they love, by what they desire, what they want, their affections. We humans are not data processing robots only. We are feelers. We make decisions based on what occupies our affections and our hearts. We choose what we love. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. God designed us this way, to be feelers, to be desirers, wanters, feeling affection for things. Most importantly, him, desiring him. But as we saw in Proverbs chapter seven last week, this can be our downfall. Our hearts, our wants can and often do get hijacked by destructive desires. In chapter seven of Proverbs, we saw a gullible guy get pulled away through the forbidden woman, hooking his heart's desire, and it led to his death. And as we finish reading the last word of chapter seven, death, it should make us wonder, okay, I shouldn't desire that. What should I desire? What should I want? What should I love? So that I live and don't die. And chapter 8 is the answer to that question. Today's passage is saying this. Wisdom is calling. Will you love her? Wisdom is calling. Will you love wisdom? Will you desire her? Just giving a, a quick look at this chapter, it's obvious that it's a, it's a call. It's a speech given by wisdom herself. A lady named Wisdom is calling. That's pretty obvious. But maybe less obvious from this passage is that the call is to love her. We've got to look at it a little more closely. Let's take a brief glance at it. If you've got your Bible open, uh, take a look at verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. All that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is to be desired above all else wisdom is to be loved delighted in she has desirability that is off the charts above any kind of human desire glance down again at verse 17 i love those who love me those who seek me diligently that's how we're to love her to seek her diligently is they find me look at verse 21 granting an inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasuries. And then lastly, at the very end of the chapter, whoever finds me, verse 35, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. There's that love language again. But if you hate, do the opposite of love to wisdom, you will love death. This is about our hearts. This is about what we ought to desire and wisdom is saying we not only need her, we need to love her, to embrace her, to esteem her more highly than anything else. So let's get into it and see if we can be convinced by wisdom that we are to love her. We're going to explore three parts to this call and then ask ourselves at the end whether and how we will love love her. So there are three parts to Wisdom's call. The first is in verses 1 to 11. It's this. Wisdom invites our love. Wisdom invites our love. Let me read it for us. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portal she cries aloud. And here she talks. To you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. My mouth, For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot be compared with her. So the first verse just arrests our attention on a very interesting woman who's a lady whose name is Wisdom and she also goes by understanding. And the narrator of this Uh, passage, who's probably the father still speaking to the son from chapter 7, is saying, hey, listen, do you hear something? I think I hear wisdom calling. Forget the forbidden woman's secret whispers. I hear something far better calling loud and clear for you to listen to. And he points his finger, and there she is. She's up on the heights of the city. She's beside the way, standing at the crossroads, beside the gates and the entrances, And a clear, powerful voice, she's calling out for everyone to listen to her. Notice that this invitation is very public. Everyone, anyone, she is in the most public places of the city. Everyone in this ancient city would have been able to hear her and recognize her voice. She's making her invitation, she's shouting, she wants everyone to respond to her. This scene might remind us of something, by the way. If you um, remember back in chapter 1, verse 20, starting in verse 20, Lady Wisdom was making a speech there too. In chapter 1, she was making a public rebuke. She begins by saying, how long, O simple ones, will you love your simple ways? She rebukes the people of the city. She is slapping them in the face and saying, why do you love, notice the love language, why do you love your simple ways? Their hearts are hooked on their simple, foolish ways. But here, the tone's a little bit different. It's an invitation. She's beckoning. Verses four to six, she's calling, she's crying. Look at the verbs. Learn prudence. Learn um, what's uh, sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. She's inviting us to love something different, namely her. But not only does she invite, but she gives good reason for us to come and love her. Look at what the rest of this bit of her speech points at. It's her excellent words, her speech, what comes off her lips. This is why you should come to love me, because what I say is good. What I say is right. Remember back in chapter 7, the father didn't, he warned the son, Don't listen to what the forbidden woman says. She's got smooth speech, flattering words. But he does point his son to Lady Wisdom because her words are good. Her speech is so much better. Look at verses six to nine. Noble things come off Lady Wisdom's lips. What is right? Truth, not wickedness. It's an abomination to her lips. Righteous words that are not twisted or perverse. Straight words, right words. In other words, He's saying, Lady Wisdom's a straight shooter. She's forthright. She will call it as it is. She, and that's why her invitation is so compelling because she, you know she's the real deal. She doesn't have some hidden secret motive that the forbidden woman had back in chapter seven. She wants what is absolutely best for you. And then in verses 10 to 11, she ups the ante. Her invitation to come and love her is taken up a notch. She, she says, I'm better than silver. My instruction, my correction, is better than the rarest of most precious metals. Better than choice gold, better than jewels. In fact, she says, anything you could possibly desire, all added up on top of each other, it still goes up in the scale when compared to me. That's, she's basically saying, if you could have me, or you could have a billion dollars every year for the rest of your life, you should choose me. If this were the forbidden woman, we should doubt whether that is true. But Lady Wisdom says what is straight, what is right, what is true. It can be trusted. So that's the invitation. She wants anyone and everyone to come and to love her, and that includes us. Now, in case you're wondering, maybe you're saying, Hey, Billy, I, um, I, I didn't really notice Lady Wisdom say love me. I didn't hear an invitation to love me lady wisdom in this chapter. I did hear her say, listen to me. I didn't hear, love me. And that's, that's good observation. How is lady wisdom inviting us to love her? By treasuring her words. That's what love looks like to lady wisdom. We're going to see that even more so a little bit later. By giving heed to what she says, we love her. We show our desire for her and our affection for her. Learn prudence, verse 5. Learn sense, verse 6. Hear, because I speak. And then look down at verse 10. Take my instruction rather than silver. To love wisdom is to listen to wisdom. It's to respond, to hear, to learn from what she says. And this has always been the case for God's people, right? He's a speaking God. He speaks life to those who listen. Listen. those who humbly trust and obey what he says. And wisdom is inviting us to love her by listening to what she has to say so that we can become like her, speaking and thinking and loving what is good and noble and insightful and wise. It is a tantalizing offer, and we would be foolish to refuse. But this lady's not done. She's inviting our love, but she's going to back it up by showing us how worthy she is of our love. And that's going to take up the most of of our time looking at the kind of big section of this speech, verses 12 to 31, wisdom's gonna show us that not only is she inviting us to love her, but she's worthy of our love and affection. Now I'm gonna read this, uh, the first part, verses 12 to 21, and then I'll, I'll read the next part when we get to it. So as I read this, I want you to pretend something for me. Uh, pretend you are working in the human resources department of your company. You are looking at a resume. Okay, And you are looking at Lady Wisdom's resume. And I want you to think, wow, this is quite a resume. So listen, starting in verse 12. Wisdom's introducing herself here. She's providing her resume. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have wisdom and sound wisdom. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield is better than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Now that is an impressive resume. She first introduced us to her associates, and then she gives us a glimpse at her references, and then finally she helps us see her record of accomplishments. Let's look at her her associations, or her associates in verses twelve through fourteen. We see her colleagues and her associates. Her roommate's name is Prudence. She hangs out often with knowledge and discretion. In verse 14, she names a few more intimate friends. Counsel, sound wisdom, insight, strength. And notice what she does not associate herself with. In verse 13, she hates the way of evil. Pride, arrogance, the path of evil. I hate perverted speech. I hate it. So all these stellar qualities, her associates, uh, are, are basically what, what the person who loves wisdom gets access to when they love her. Prudence. She will help you use reason to navigate life's hairy problems. Knowledge and discretion will give you clear discernment to know what path is best, what course of action is truly best under any circumstance. Advice, sound wisdom, insight are readily available to all who love wisdom. She, those Particular qualities will give resourcefulness and understanding to deal with difficult problems. And interestingly enough, look at the end of the list. In verse 14, she gives you strength. If you love wisdom, she gives you power. Now, At first, that's a little bit confusing, but think about it. Schoolhouse Rock taught us knowledge is power. If we know the right way, we have the strength and power to change certain courses of action. And so if we know what is best through loving wisdom, we will have power to transform our own circumstances and those of others for the better. And to just make back up the point about these associates, she points to her references. Look at verses 15 and 16. The kings and rulers and princes and nobles, all of them employ wisdom. They all use wisdom and her associates in the ruling and problem solving and establishing of what is right and good for large amounts of people. Now, those who have the greatest authority on the planet are those who also have the greatest responsibility and the greatest need for wisdom. And for those who employ wisdom well and all of her associates, good things come about. Rulers establish righteousness and justice, and they accomplish much good. Now, there are plenty who have lots of authority and don't do that, but that's because they don't employ wisdom, they're foolish. So these are Lady Wisdom's fine references on her resume to convince us that she is worthy of our love. If these people use me and employ me, how much do you also need to employ me? And no matter what kind of responsibility we have, whether it's just over our own affairs or over our family or our household or in our job, Wisdom and her associates steer us well if we love them. And that's the very point of verses 18 to 20. Here she continues her resume with her pristine record of accomplishments of how well she has served her previous clients. I love those who love me. And she's not talking about affection, sentimentality. She's talking about, I do good to those who love me. I show them how much I love them by treating them well. If you employ me, wisdom says, you will not be hurting at the end of the day. They provide an excellent path for those who diligently seek wisdom and her associates. She's worth your time and energy and devotion. Verse 19, her fruit is better than gold, her yield better than choice silver. Verse 21, she grants an inheritance to those who love her and fills their treasuries. She's like, look at all the people I've served. Look at all the ways that I have loved and shown good to all those who have loved me in the past. So wisdom's resume is an impressive one so far. Her associates are rock solid. Her references are golden. Her record of serving her clients is just off the charts good. But we haven't gotten to the best part. The clincher comes in verses 22 to 31. Let me read this and feel free to let your jaws drop to the floor. The Lord possessed me. I'm in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there You see, on her resume, it's wisdom's on-the-job training that really counts. Her backstory, her background, where she comes from. To put it into one quick sentence, she helped God create the world. She was not only present during the original creative process, we also get the hint that she participated in it. In verses 22 to 26, Lady Wisdom claims that the Lord himself brought her into existence so that she predates the universe itself. Before the primordial oceans and springs, she existed. Before the dry earth and mountains were formed, she was already there. In verses 27 to 31, all these different activities, the establishing of the heavens and the waters and the skies and the clouds and marking out the foundation of the earth, she says, I was there when God did that. And verse 30 implies that she was assisting him in this process as a master craftsman accomplishes the will of his job site foreman. Now, this, before you're like, wait a minute, this shouldn't mess with our theology. Genesis 1 and 2 is still true. God alone spoke all things into existence. But remember, this is poetry. This is, she, the, the writer is using an extended uh, personification uh, way of speaking. It's, it's a metaphor to show how God in his wisdom has made all things. Psalm 104, 24 says, "O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Lady Wisdom is it's a personification, a, a poetic way of describing God's own wisdom. And God himself employed his wisdom in the fashioning of his universe. Just think about it. In wisdom, he invented gravity. Think about what an invention that is. It keeps our planet in this very delicate balance, orbiting the distance from the sun in elliptical orbit in just the right way. Just far enough, it's not too hot. Just close enough, it's not too cold. And in wisdom, he tilted the earth 23.5 degrees, not 0.4, but 0.5, so that we could have seasons. And in wisdom, He made it so the earth would spin the right direction at the right time and the right speed so that we would have 24-hour days with a period of darkness and light in each day. In wisdom, he designed the smallest details, like the honeybee. It's got sticky knees so that when it goes to feed on flowers, it also pollinates the flowers. What a brilliant God who could employ his wisdom to make this wondrous world. And look at the end of verse 30 and 31. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So God not only employed wisdom to make his world, but he and wisdom had a lot of fun doing it. That word translated rejoicing in the ESV, it, it might as well be translated playing or laughing, dancing. This implies this close, intimate, delightful relationship between Yahweh himself and his wisdom. God delighted in his wisdom, in her creativity and skill, and she was laughing and playing and having a ball like a kid let loose at a playground, helping God make the astounding world that he designed. It's as if wisdom is saying to us, do you want to live the happiest, most delightful kind of life in this world that God has made? Then come and love me because I helped him build it. I know how it works. I know how to help you make a delightful life for yourself because God made me his delight. Come and make me your delight. I will show you a wonderful way to live in this world if you will employ my help and love me. So here wisdom is, she's offering herself to you and to me, proving to us that she is overwhelmingly worthy of our love and our affection. In fact, we're the ones who are not worthy of her. And yet here she is, freely inviting us, calling us, proving to us how lovely she is. Her associates, her references, her record of accomplishments, especially her on-the-job training, uniquely qualify her for our utmost affection and loyalty. Nobody else has what it takes to build a life that is full of joy and delight for the children of man in this world that God has made. Well, Lastly, let's look at how wisdom wraps up her speech. She invites our love. She's worthy of our love. And now she promises to reward our love in verses 32 to 36. And now, big conclusion here. And now, oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Watching daily at my gates. Waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. And now, it's a big conclusion. Wisdom has invited us to love her. She has proven herself worthy of our love. And now she is saying, I will promise great reward to those who love me. And remember, how do we love Lady Wisdom? By listening. That's her love language. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. How do you love your wife? You listen to her. And she knows. Oh man, she knows. When you're not listening, when you say, "Uh uh-huh, or yeah, sure, dear. She knows. She knows the difference, and wisdom knows too. There is a difference between hearing and listening diligently with an intent to observe what you have heard. Listen to the listening words of this little conclusion. Verse 32, listen to me, keep my ways. Verse 33, hear instruction, be wise, don't neglect my instruction. Verse 34, listen to me, watch daily at my gates, wait beside my doors. So wisdom's asking us for diligent action, attentiveness, eagerness to observe and imitate everything that wisdom says and does. That's how we love wisdom. And notice the promise that's attached to it. Blessed. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Twice she says it. Verse 32, again, verse 34. Blessed are those who love me by listening to me and diligently keeping my words. That is just describing the kind of life that a person who fears God and who listens to wisdom, it's a kind of happy life that they're going to have. That, it's, it's summed up beautifully in verse 35. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. God delighted in employing wisdom as, they, uh, as he created the world and he also delights in those who imitate him in employing his wisdom as they build their lives in his world. So those who love wisdom receive God's grace and his favor because it's his wisdom that they're loving. And it's impossible to love wisdom without loving God for he's the source of all wisdom. And then it's stated in a negative way in verse 36. If you fail to find me, injure yourself. All who hate me love death. To not love wisdom is to hate wisdom and to hate wisdom is to love death. So whatever energy we dedicate to loving wisdom, it will pan out well for us in the end. She will keep us from death. Whoever finds her finds blessedness in life the way that God intended us to live in right relationship to him. So wisdom is calling. Will you Love her. Now before we, before we turn the corner into asking how we can love her, in some immediate application, I want us to consider something together. This speech was written 2000, or 3,000 years ago. It rings clear and true to us today. It persuades our own hearts to desire and to love God's wisdom, God's priorities, God's path, God's way. And we have the same need as the people that this book was written to back then, to love wisdom, to pursue the fear of the Lord, to develop the skill of living wisely in this world. We, in the coming weeks, are going to be seeing different areas of our lives that Proverbs speaks to. We have the same deficiencies of character and same deficiencies of life skill that the original readers of Proverbs had. We we need self-control over our emotions and our appetites just like they did. We need to tame our tongues and learn life-giving speech, just like they did. We, we need to learn the skill of diligence, just like they did. We need to develop an, a patient and gentle character, as they did. We need to learn how to handle our money, like they did. So the fullness of what wisdom offers humanity in return to, for our love has not changed. She stands ready and willing to teach us, to lavish her excellent words on us, and to lead us into the path of life. But how do 21st century American Christians respond to this 3,000-year-old book like we are invited to do here? How do we love Lady Wisdom? Well, there's a lot of similarity between Lady Wisdom and the wisest man who ever lived. And I'm not talking about Solomon. There is someone who is greater than Solomon. Solomon who came to show us God's way of doing things. Jesus Christ, the wisest man who ever lived, is God's wisdom in human form. In the Old Testament, he is is seen on the pages, in one sense, of Proverbs 8. He's not Lady Wisdom, but Lady Wisdom points to him. He invites our love like Lady Wisdom did, saying, come, follow me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. He invites us, burned by our folly and broken by our sin, to make the wisest decision of our lives, to call him their teacher. He is worthy of our love, just like Lady Wisdom is. He's the treasure hidden in the field. He's worth selling everything we have to acquire. And he's shown us his impressive resume. Just listen to Colossians chapter 1. His resume is, uh, is incomparable. Paul says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and everything he might be preeminent. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What a resume! He is worthy of our love. He he not only demonstrated the wisdom of God in his human life all the way from infancy, but he himself became God's wisdom upon the cross for us, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is worthy of our love. When we pursue wisdom, we pursue him. And oh, how he promises great reward for our love. Whoever finds him finds life. What did Peter say in John chapter six? Lord, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. In him are hidden all the treasures and riches of wisdom and knowledge. So when we attach our affections to the Lord of wisdom, Jesus Christ himself, we gain access to those hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge and the understanding of God's mystery of redeeming us in him. When we love him, he gives us the great reward of himself his life, now, by his spirit, and forever. So church, will you love God's wisdom, which is hidden and now disclosed to you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ? Let me just have two brief ways for us to consider responding to this. Will you love wisdom in these two ways? First, recognize wisdom's worth. It is far better to Pursue God's way of doing things far more valuable than our way of doing things. God has given us a clear understanding in his word to recognize how worth, how worthy he is, how desirable his word is, his wisdom offered to us in Christ. Do you recognize the infinite worth of God's wisdom offered to you in his word, especially in his son, Jesus Christ? So recognize wisdom's worth. And lastly, love wisdom by listening to wisdom. Wisdom's love language is by listening. It's by paying attention to her excellent words. So let me ask you, are there other rival voices that you are listening to instead of wisdom's good, excellent words? For some of us, that means to take drastic action. There are influences and voices in your life that you're allowing to dominate your thought more than God's revealed wisdom to you in Christ and his word. You need to silence those voices and give Lady Wisdom space to speak as you dwell upon God's word in the scriptures. That means canceling out things you're looking at, things that you're occupying your attention and your time that you're reading far more or you're watching far more than you are um, at, the, at the world's gates than at Lady Wisdom's gates, do that. But I'm guessing for many of you, I, I'm hoping this gives fresh hope in your heart to keep going, to keep going by listening to wisdom. God's wisdom in Christ is worth your love. This week, I have to be honest, it, it, I was faithlessly wondering whether God wanted me to speak, wanted to speak to me in his word as I cracked open his word in my devotions this week. But I, I know he is. I know whom I have believed. He is worth taking the time to listening. Even when it doesn't feel like he's speaking, he is. And remembering, listening doesn't just mean hearing. It doesn't just mean having words go in. It means a vigilant watching, waiting, diligent obedience. So what is there that you need to do to diligently pay attention to what wisdom is? is saying, to listen and to act. Let's pursue, let's love wisdom this week, church. She is calling, listen, and love her. Let's, um, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you that you have spoken and we have your wisdom. In your word, you have been clear. God, You want us to love and treasure your words above all else. So God, help us to pursue your wisdom today with diligent action and with truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.